Hello and welcome to The 100 Podcast. It's Charlie here. I hope you're well. It's that time of year again where the wildcard picks are in, the last minute player replacements are being finalised and both men's and women's squads are looking more or less complete. In just a moment, Ed and I will be bringing you our trademark wildcard review. But before we get into it, just a quick note to say that the bulk of this podcast was recorded prior to the ECB officially confirming the World Cup picks, as well as the final women's open market signings that were recently announced, and some of the player injury replacements. With that in mind, let's get straight into our review of men's wildcard draft. Let's start with the Trent Rockets. Um, reigning champions had the first pick in the wildcard draft. Um, and they brought a couple of players in. The first overall pick was Hampshire seamer John Turner. Then with the last pick, they picked Tom Moores, who comes back to the franchise again to offer some keeping depth. So let's start with John Turner, because I think we both agreed, obviously Brad Wheel is currently injured. Um, that you know the, the Trent Rockets really need to bring in another seamer just to add some depth and add some competition for places. Yeah, I think this is always going to be their likely play. They've always had a pretty interesting seam attack, the Trent Rockets, but you felt like they wanted someone who was quick and tall, could add that point of difference. You know, they've got the likes of Luke Wood, obviously a quality seamer. Lewis Gregory is there, Daniel Sams. But what they don't necessarily have is that kind of tall, hit-the-deck-hard, quick, aggressive seamer. And they've got one in John Turner. He hits around 85 miles per hour. He's been pretty much a standout seamer, you'd say, in this blast. He's taken 18 wickets this year at an average of 11, just over 11. Strike rate of 10, economy of 6.6. So I think his numbers are outstanding. I don't think it was a real surprise to see him taken first. I think pretty much any team who was going up first would have gone for him if, if they needed a seamer. So, yeah, a no-brainer, I think. Yeah, and we talk about the fact that there's just a scarcity of seamers in general. Uh, when you get when you get to the hundred level, um, and you know, especially injuries happen a lot with English seamers. You know, I think you've just got to add depth to your pegs attack, and I think John Turner might well um, play a big role um, for the Rockets this year. They're kind of in a, a, a you know quite a comfortable place, really, though, because obviously, you know, you'd assume that um, Daniel Sams and Lewis Gregory will be half of their seam attack. Obviously, got Samet Patel, Rashi Khan, whoever replaces Rashi Khan. Then Luke Wood and Sam Cook are the incumbents. All you know players who've had a lot of success. Luke Wood and Sam Cook had decent success last year. So you know John Turner might actually have less of a chance for, to play for the Rockets than other franchises. But um, having that top and tail bowler, having a nice you know, different option as well, um, is helpful. Because I mean, you usually talk about the fact that you know most teams would love a genuine left arm quick. But actually, you know, I, th I think with, with you know, the, the different angles that Sams and Wood bring, they don't actually have a right arm quick, really. It's, you know, now Brad Wheel is injured. So actually, John Turner, in, in a weird way, brings a, bit of, brings a bit of diversity to that seam attack. And, you know, I don't know necessarily if, if on day one he'll take a place over Sam Cook and Luke Wood. But I, I like the diversification of a seam attack, you know, a grander trend you know, in Nottingham, which isn't always the easiest to bowl at. I think they've given themselves a lot of good options. And then when you pair that with the fact that they've got Samet already there, you've got um, a bit of Matt Carter off the bench if you want some off-spin, um, you've got Rashi Khan and whoever Rashi Khan's replacement is. Just, I, I think that, you know, that, that general attack has a lot of different options. I think it's going to be super useful for them. So um, I, I love the Turner pick. I think it makes sense. And then Tom Moore's, 
I mean, really, I, I think it's just it's just cover, isn't it? And they only have um, you know one keeper in the squad in, in Tonka Lacadmore. So bringing in another keeper, left-hander. They don't have many left-handers uh, in the top six. So probably a cover option, but I think a good cover option. And, and he's had a decent year. Yeah, he, he's a decent, uh, if not unspectacular option. I think it's fair to say. He knows the group well, having been there the last couple of years. He knows the ground well as well, which is something that the Trent Rocket staff have been very keen on over the last couple of years. You look at the amount of times they've signed a player who might not necessarily been the best player available, but it's a player that knows the ground really well for their time at Nottinghamshire. And this is that kind of principle in action again here. I think his numbers aren't brilliant. You know, he's strike rate around 130 over the last couple of years. It's, you know, solid, but unspectacular, but he's not going to get to their first choice team. He'll only play if there's injuries or, or, uh, you know, call-ups to England or whatever. Um, that's the only way he's going to play realistically. But as far as a dependable backup option goes, it makes complete sense. I can't really criticise it. No. I know that Trent Rockets won the tournament last year, but this is the best I've felt about them um, just ever. In, in terms of the franchise. Hales, Malan at the top of the order. Tom Collacodmore had an incredible PSL. Sam Hain is on an absolute heater in the 2023 T20 Blast. I mean, I think Sam Hain's just general transformation as a T20 player has been something really lovely to watch as a as someone who really liked watching Sam Hain, but maybe thought he didn't quite score quick enough. Um, his average this year, Charlie, and he has had five not outs, is 107. Uh, he's averaging 107 in the T20 Blast, strike rate of 162. He's on an absolute heater. And then Colin Munro down the order is, is a, a really good T20 operator. Gregory, Sam, Samit, Rashid Khan, loads of batting depth there. Uh, and, you know, I like the diversity of the seam attack. I feel really good about the side. Obviously not knowing who's replacing Rashid Khan, but uh, no, I know, I, I, I just feel like I've, I've never felt as good about this side. And I think I think they might be the my favourites looking at the sides a month away from the tournament. I'm inclined to agree. I want to circle back to Sam Hain quickly. Before the season started, Sam Hain averages 242 at a strike rate of 170 at Trentbridge. Now I think that might have <laughs> I think that might have got better in this season. Um, I haven't got the stats by hand, but before this year, that was his record at Trentbridge. So I feel like he is going to absolutely cook in that middle order coming in at number four for, for the Trent Rockets. But I have to agree, this team looks really strong. And we've, I think in the past, we've been a little bit critical about this team. We haven't necessarily loved some of the players they've got and some of the the, the methods and, and philosophies that they've adopted. But they've proven us wrong in fairness. And I think they've gone from strength to strength. This team on paper looks incredibly strong. And, you know, it pains me to say it because as a... As, as a Phoenix boy at heart, you know, these are technically our local our local rivals, but I feel like this is the team to beat. They look really strong. He hasn't played at Trent Bridge this year. Um, so, hey, but he, he'll be excited to get there. So feel good about this team. And let's move on to the Manchester Originals, a, a team who we've also criticised, um, but again, obviously made the final last year. Um, Max Holden comes in as the second overall pick. Um, left-hander from Middlesex, who's had a really, really good year. And they also bring in Fred Klaassen, a, a re- another return candidate, a bit of a theme here. Um, but he comes back in um, for the originals, who've had him on the books the last couple of years. Let's start with Holden. Um, I, I think this is an incredible move. He's had a great year. 
you know, you look at the top order of the originals and it's Butler, Salt, Evans, Madsen, Turner. Love the top order. The only left-hander they really have in their top seven is Paul Walter. So someone like Max Holden could play a massive role. I love this pick. Yeah, I'm very keen on this. Max Holden has always been a player I've kind of liked and I feel very validated this year because his numbers before this year were never particularly great. Strike rate around 120 or so in the last couple of years. But I don't know, I always felt like there was a player there. And this year, he's really proven that he is a hell of a player. Strike rate of 185 in the blast, um, average of 38 and a boundary percentage of 29. But what really interests me, particularly for Manchester Originals, is that strike rate remains over 180 against spin. He does get out more to spin than pace, but he's still striking it over 180. At Old Trafford, a pitch where spin has historically been very, very important, that's going to serve him very, very well. Particularly given that he's the only top order left-hander you've got there, Walter, you'd imagine, will be sort of five at the absolute highest. I feel like you'd really want to try and squeeze Holden into that team because a left-hander that can hit spin really well is going to be crucial for them. The challenge for me is working out how you get him into this side because it's tough to leave out someone like Laurie Evans, for example, who was so important for them last year and has been playing really well for Surrey again this season. Or Wayne Madsen, who also, as we know, is an excellent player of spin and has had a very good year for Derbyshire. But you might have to try and consider those prospects because Holden has had such a good year. It's going to be very hard to justify leaving him out. You know, his 121 not out of 59 balls versus Kent was such a good knock. I just feel like he's come on so far and he's such a great fit for this team. I really want to squeeze him in there somehow. I'm dropping Laurie Evans. Bold. I'm dropping Laurie Evans. And look, I get it. And Laurie had a great year for them last year. But I think sometimes you have to take emotion out of this. He's always been a good T20 player, but he hasn't got a high, particularly high strike rate. And I think that, I mean, Wayne Madsen's on absolute heater, has been for a while. He's a fantastic cricketer. As we've said, every possible opportunity is the ideal Manchester original cricketer. Butler and Salt are great at the top of the order. But I, I think what you could really do with is, is a left-hander. You know, Phil Salt is improving against spin. We know the leg spin issue. Having a left-hander at the top of the order, you know, helps just avoid them trying to turn the ball away from Butler and Salt as much, I think. Um, and then... <laughs> You know, I think you put Holden at three, Madsen at four. You know, you have the experience of Ashton Turner at five, and then obviously the big lads, because that's what the originals are, the five batters and the big lads. I think there's a better balance there. Uh, and look, I, I know Laurie Evans did a great year last year, but, you know, if I'm being super brutal, I think I would leave him out, um, depending on... But, you know, they could also leave Madsen out and, and keep Laurie. Um, but I would really want to play Holden because I, I just think he could add something to that top order and just make the side a bit more complete. Because I think, as we've always said, that this side has just always felt a little bit out of kilter. So many top order right-handers, so many obvious weaknesses. Seems like Holden fixes that. I do agree. I, I think whichever way you spin this, one of these three players who is deserving of starting will have to miss out. And that's a real shame. I think they're all quality cricketers, but I don't think you can squeeze them all in. And personally, I do think the left-hander who hits spin is a very important quality. So, yes, yeah, I'd have to squeeze them in somehow. It's a tough decision, but you've got to make a tough decision sometimes. Yeah, but that that's a good thing for the franchise because I think all it three is. of those players would play for a lot of these teams. So I think that's a good point. Fred Clarsen, I mean, I, I think... It's just, I know it's a retread candidate, but that makes sense, doesn't it? The originals don't really have a swing bowler per se, unless um, so they have Little and Gleason. 
um, scheduled in there to be the frontline seamers. And then you've got the big lads, Paul Walter and Jamie Overton. Overton isn't bowling, which is probably a benefit for everybody uh, involved <laughs> with the Manchester Originals. Uh, and Paul Walter obviously offers something, but he's not really a, a power play operator. He's a tall lad who digs it in and has a slower ball or two. So, you know, and then you have Mitchell Stanley and Josh Tung on the bench. Obviously, they feel very, uh, imagine, very happy with themselves about the Josh Tung pick. But they don't really have a swing bowl. And I think Clarkson just adds a point of difference, which I like. Yeah, completely agree. I think it's a sensible play bringing back a player who knows the team well, who's done pretty well for them over the last couple of years. He's very good in that one phase in the power play. He's not the most versatile operator in the world, but it's not a phase they have a great deal of depth in at the moment particularly the likes of Gleason in the team who's very injury prone and you know there's every chance he doesn't play a great deal. Um, so it makes sense adding an extra seam in there, one who's useful in, his, in the power play is very helpful and the left arm angle is always useful to have as well. So yeah, it's a logical play for them. They use their RTM on him and it makes complete sense. I get it. It's just logical. Do you think there's ever been a more injury prone seam attack built than the Manchester Originals 2023? Just before we bring in Clarson, Overton, Little, Gleason, Tongue, Stanley. Do you think they brought in Clarson purely on the basis that he might be the only one who can withstand the the breeze across the pitch? It's very possible, isn't it? I mean, I, I think last year's Birmingham Phoenix attack of Adam Milne and Ollie Stone yeah. is absolutely in comparison. Fisher, in Fisher as well. Yes. Yeah, that was um, pretty similar. But yeah, I think this one might have gotten beaten purely for strength and depth. Although, actually, this year's London Spirit, also an option there as well. We'll probably get to that later. We'll, we'll, we'll get to the London Spirit. We will get to the London Spirit. Don't you worry. Um, <laughs> only other note to make, obviously, when you Hasaranga is not going to play in the tournament again. Shock horror. Um, we'll get to the London Spirit as well. I wonder when people will learn their lessons in these franchises. I've heard Usama Mir, who has had an incredible season for Worcestershire, is lined up um, to take his place, which I think would be a really good spot for the originals to find themselves in actually so how do you feel about the the originals vibe check wise i think other than just working out who the second seamer is alongside little that's gleason tongue stanley class and whatever i i feel quite good about this team i like it i like the batting certainly i think that's exciting i think if usama mia does sign as we're expecting they've got a really exciting spinner there as well i think that is a massive boost for them I think the issue for me is, can you get that seam attack, which on paper is exciting, but can you get it onto the pitch in one piece? Uh, I don't know if they can, if I'm honest, and that could be a big issue for them. But they've made it work in the past. So, you know, I'm, 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 I'm very intrigued by this team, is what I say. I think they've got a lot of potential there if they can get everyone out on the park. Like the Rockets, I feel better about them than I think I ever have. Let's move on to the Oval Invincibles. Two interesting picks here. Um, the Kent opener, Tawanda Mayeye. Um, who is a, a really interesting young cricketer, talked about a lot as a star of the future, and they've brought him in, and they've also brought in uh, Zach Chappell, um, the tall, quick bowler from Derbyshire, formerly Nottinghamshire, formerly Leicestershire, traitor, who has... Uh, I keep. I need to keep reminding myself um, that he's a traitor because I've actually watched him quite a lot this year and I've really enjoyed watching him bowl. I think he's a very good cricketer now. Um, we'll get on to Chapel in a moment, which I think is an excellent pick. Let's let's talk about bringing in a young opener who has lots of talent, but maybe hasn't quite broken through completely yet. 
I think this has been the closest he's had to a breakthrough season. He's averaging 20-odd this year, strike rate 145, which is solid, if not unspectacular. He's still quite a raw talent. I think that's fair to say. I don't think he's gone above 60-odd this year as a high score. He is a little inconsistent, but it's very clear that the talent is there. Obviously, the overall Invincibles and Kent connections are quite strong with Sam Billings and, of course, Matt Walker and the coaching staff as well. So it's not a huge surprise that they've gone for him with that connection in mind. I'm not sure he's going to play a great deal this year. You'd imagine Jason Roy and Will Jacks are absolute locks for that opening pair. But there isn't there is a potential that he gets a few games here. Potentially Jason Roy has slid down to free for Sari a few times to accommodate Laurie Evans this year, which is not something I thought I'd say a year or two ago. But you know, it's not impossible. That's something they want to do if they want to extend that batting lineup. But I'm I'm clutching at straws a little bit there. I don't think he'll play that much. But for the future, it's a really exciting pick. I think he's Jason Roy's replacement, don't you? In, in, in not not this year, 2024, 2025. I think that's what they're trying to do. And I think there's, there, often we think about this in such a short-term manner, I think, 100. But you know, remember that, and we have t- touched on this previously, the Oval Invincible was in a really difficult position where they have a lot of really good players and you only have a certain amount of spots where you can pay all of these players. Um, Roy, Jax, Sam Curran, Billings, Tom Curran, Narine, Sakib, all of these guys deserve a decent amount of pay. And Fred, uh, you know, Klaassen's had a really good um, year. Not Fred. Heinrich Klaassen's had a really good year as well. Um, you know, there's only so many spots that you, you can fill in terms of the big money. In other leagues, the Oval Invincibles would give them all of their money and just have really cheap other players. It's not how it works in the 100. You have the salary bands and they're, they're stuck at it. So I do think you kind of have to think ahead of the future a little bit just to try and make sure that you have a succession plan and you bring in a young player and, and you know, if you can get him cheap for one or two years, the way the Phoenix are benefiting from Will Smead, bringing him in for the cheap and keeping him cheap for two, three years now, um, you can really benefit from that. I think that's probably the logic behind the pick because I don't think you're breaking into this side um, necessarily. Although, you know, you know, if they move Jordan Cox out, brought him in, maybe you back Jack's three, um, you know, that you can you can play around with the batting order a bit. I think that's probably probably what they're looking at um, in terms of Mayei. With Zach Chappell, you know, obviously they've lost Sakib, so they're bringing Laws in. I, I think it's I think it's a right, really nice pick, and that, that's because Tom Curran obviously isn't bowling a great deal at the moment. So you've got Sam Curran there, you've got Insanulla, you've got Atkinson, you've got Laws, but having another seamer, point of difference like Chappell, one who's bowled really well this year, I think. Um, I think is is a really nice thing for them to have. I agree. I think they need a seamer that's ready to play now. I think, as you said, there's a few injury concerns there. There's a few relatively inexperienced players. I think Gus Atkinson is really exciting. I think he'll play quite a lot as well. But Tom Laws, you know, might not be ready to play a great deal this season. Obviously, with Sakib gone, and if Tom Curran isn't fit to bowl, I think there's every chance that Zach Chappell is going to play quite a big role for this team. And I think he's ready to, frankly. I think he's a really nice point of difference option. His numbers this year are pretty good as well. 26 wickets at 18. It can't have been 9.34, which is maybe, you know, a little expensive, but he does play for Derbyshire and he does bowl difficult overs. So it's not that bad at all, I think. And, you know, strike rate of 11.5. They're good numbers. This has been a real breakthrough season for him. He's had a tough couple of years of injuries and not quite hitting the ground running as you felt like he could do. But I think this year is the first we've really seen his potential come to fruition. And I think he's very, very deserving of this, of this spot in the team. I think he will play quite a bit. And I think it's a really good pickup. I think he was the best seamer available at this spot in the draft. So, yeah, really good call, I think. 
important question here, Charlie. Do you feel slightly bad for poo-pooing me when I suggested at the end of our season that Zach Chappell was a potential breakout candidate? Yeah, do you, I do. Do you feel any remorse for that at all? I, I think it probably cancels out my smugness over Max Holden, who you always used to poo-poo well, when I said he was good. I don't think I poo-pooed Max Holden. I questioned if he could get it off the square. I've always liked him as a player. <laughs> It was never an issue. I don't think I've ever poo-pooed Holder. And I just I just say there were legitimate concerns over whether he could get it over the over the ring fielders. But well, I think my concerns over Jack Chapel landing on the square are also pretty legitimate at the time. But you know, yin yang. Um, we were both wrong. But but I do but I do think it's a really good pick. And I think it's and they do seem to like quick bowlers, don't they? Obviously, we saw um, has name last year. Instant others pretty rapid. Atkinson's got got a decent yard of pace on him. And then, you know, I, I think it's important they get this seam attack right. Because obviously, you have Sam Curran as well, which is great. But they've actually got a really sneaky... I say sneaky. Son of the Ryan's not sneaky. He's, he's the best T20... Um, spin, well, that's the second best T20 spinner in the world behind Rashid Khan, probably. Um, although I'm sure you could debate that. And arguably, probably a top five T20 player of all time. But Nathan Salter this year has been on, been absolutely incredible for Durham. He's got that move away from Middlesex. And I know the Durham pitchers take spin well. He has bowled so, so, so well this year. I think he's been hidden, obviously, by the fact he plays Durham. But Salter's been incredible. So if you pair Salter and Narine, and amazing that I'm naming those two players in the same sentence, plus Will Jackson's off spin, you have Sam Curran there, you have Instanother, and then you have you know Atkinson, Chapel, Laws, whatever you want to do, Briggs... You know, behind them, you just you just feel like you have a lot of options in that bowling attack. It's very versatile. I think this has always been one of the strong points of the Oval Invincibles. They've had so much flexibility to set up their team in all different manner of ways. So depending on the, the pitch, depending on your position, they've got a lot of bases covered there, which I think is, in a tournament like this, I think it's such a positive thing to have. This is why you've always been very keen on this team. This is why we always feel like they've underperformed a little bit, just because of the quality and the flexibility that they have in their squad. But again, I feel very good about this team. And I think if they can get it right, they've got every chance. I like them. Right, let's head over to the London Spirit, where, to be honest, things are things are a little bit messy. We should start, before we get to the wildcard picks, Charlie, with some overseas news. Obviously, we expected Mitchell Marsh and Glenn Maxwell to be playing in this tournament. They've been pulled out by Cricket Australia. So London Spirit have brought in Matthew Wade and Daryl Mitchell, the New Zealand all-rounder, who's been playing for Lancashire this year. He's had a pretty good year. I think all things considered, given just a disastrous situation all-round with Maxwell and Marsh, this is pretty good with what they could have got. I'd have loved to see Riley Russo, but maybe he wasn't available. And Matthew Wade's a, a good player uh, and adds a left-handed option to you know that that top five. So I think in the circumstances, they've done pretty well. Honestly, I think this is pretty much their best case scenario. I think going into this situation, we both said best case scenario is to get Daryl Mitchell and Riley Russo. They've got one of those players and Matthew Wade, who is by no means a bad player at all. Crucially, they got a left-hander in there, which we both said was really important for this team. They were sorely lacking a left-hander in that top six. They've got one now in Matthew Wade. They've also got a keeper in Matthew Wade, which I think is quite important because Rossington's had his fair share of injuries this season, had a finger issue, hasn't been keeping brilliantly well for Essex. Similarly, Michael Pepper's also had a 
finger issue. He's not been keeping at all for Essex. He's not been fit to keep. So I think having Wade in there who can take the gloves is a really key option for them, just in case Roston doesn't get in the side, just in case Pepper's still not fit to play. And Darren Mitchell's had a really good year for Lancashire. He's been batting very well and he's been bowling quite well too. Whether or not he bowls much for London Spirit, I'm not sure. But I think given the situation they were in, these are two pretty solid replacements. And I think I think they can be pretty happy of their work here. I'm not sure how much I'd want to serve up Daryl Mitchell with those very short square boundaries at Lords, a high score on ground, uh, to be honest with you at that pace. But he he does add an extra bowling option, which I think they needed. Um, he'll be their sixth bowler. Dan Lawrence, when he plays, can offer some off-breaks as well. But I think when your attack is you know, dependent on a couple of, you know, bowlers who are very likely to get injured in Mark Wood and Ollie Stone or maybe not be available. And then you've got some kind of part-time options, some options you're not sure you can fully depend on. I just think they needed some needed some extra options. That's good. I mean, Matthew Wade being their only left-handed batter other than Jordan Thompson, who hasn't batted well recently, though, is a is a problem. And and the fact that they headed into this wildcard and, and, you know, before we got that, we thought they had Wade, they didn't have a left-handed batter in the squad. I think it shows how... Not brilliantly put together, this team is. Uh, and I, I look, I like Matthew Wade, he can bat up and down the order, but he is the only left hander in this entire side that's able to score a run at the moment because Jordan Thompson's been really struggling, which is not a good situation to be in. Um, and I think is a, a one of a number of flaws with this side, but in the circumstance, they've done well in terms of their wild card picks, they picked up. Daniel Bell Drummond, who has been on an absolute heater this year in the T20 Blast for Ken. I think with Daniel Bell Drummond, he's just been around for so long. He's always been a very good white ball player. Hasn't quite made it work in the 100 so far. Didn't do much in the first couple of seasons and played for the Phoenix, obviously, in the spirit last year. But then you look at what he's done this year. 13 innings, 600 runs, average of 60, striker of 148. Just one of the form players uh, in the blast so absolutely deserves an opportunity. And then they bring in Matt Critchley as well, uh, the all-rounder who bowls some pretty useful leg spin uh, and can kind of bat and add some, I think, you know, can consolidate that lower middle order as well. So I I think they've done all right here, Charlie, with these two pickups. Yeah, I agree. I don't think Bell Drummond was a surprise at all. He's obviously had such a good season. He was there with the spirit last season as well. I think it was a pretty obvious call for them to use their right-to-match card on Bell Drummond. I think especially with Maxwell and Marsh gone, two players who could have easily batted in that top order for them, that opens up a spot for Bell Drummond to come in and potentially take his preferred spot opening the batting. I think if you want to play him, he really has to open. In the last couple of hundred seasons, he's been used more often in the middle order, first for Phoenix and then for the Spirit. And it didn't really work out for him. You know, he didn't really get to face the pace bowling that he prefers to, to face. He didn't really get to take advantage of the power play in the way that he does so well for Kent and has done for years. I think this year, if you'd give him a spot at the top of the order, let him open with Crawley or Dan Lawrence, Michael Pepper to come in at number three, that to me feels like a really exciting top order, particularly for Lords, where the square boundaries are pretty short. I think those are the kind of players that can exploit those conditions really nicely. So that works very nicely in my books. And Matt Critchley as well is a good pick. I think this one was very much a pick-what-you-know kind of deal for London Spirit because, of course, his teammate Essex, Dan Lawrence, is now his London Spirit captain. And, of course, the general manager at London Spirit, John Stevenson, is the CEO at Essex. So you've got 
the the ties there are pretty obvious. Obviously, there's Adam Ross and Michael Papper as well, both of whom play for Spirit and Essex. So there's lots of connections there. It makes sense for them, I suppose, to try and stick with what you know. But that aside, Critchley has been bowling exceptionally well for Essex this season. He's developed quite a bit as a leg spinner. I know in the past, Ed, you haven't always been his biggest fan as a mm-hmm. as a frontline spinner. You you know, you've seen him more as a part-time option. And I think that's been fair for a lot of his career. But in the last season or two, he's really pushed on. He's developed a really quite decent googly. Um, in fact, this year in the blast, he's bowled at bear in mind this is at Chelmsford. He's taken 20 wickets at 18 with an economy of 8.6, strike rate of 13. That's no mean feat for a leggy at Chelmsford. Took a brilliant 5 of 28 against Middlesex a couple of weeks ago. That was the best I've ever seen in bowl. And arguably for me, he starts over Mason Green as a specialist leg spinner. So I don't think the batting is going to be his main role for the spirit this year. He's not really batted that well for Essex. His strike rate is down below 130, for example. I don't think that's going to be a huge thing for them. But if he slots in at number eight, he will learn for the batting, undoubtedly, and might offer a bit more than Crane on current form with the ball. So I think it's a tidy pickup. It's, it's weird to suggest that Critchley would be better than Crane as a frontline leg spinner. However, you look at the evidence, it's probably the truth. Crane's not been great for Hampshire this year. And there's so much talent there, it just, it just hasn't worked out. And I think he could be another leg spinner who probably could do with a move to a different county. Um, and that's definitely a thing That's definitely a, a thing we're seeing across the county circuit at the moment. So I get that on Critchley. My one question would be, if you need a leg spinner, why don't you go get Linter? Um, so I think he'd be he'd be a nice fit there. Um, because obviously, you know, I, I would argue there's more pedigree than Critchley. But then Critchley's been bowling better than Linter this year. So, you know, I get the pick. I'm happy with it. And I think the Critchley pickup works for two reasons. One, I think it helps just add some depth to the batting order, which is helpful. I think Critchley and Dawson, you know, not the most exciting of options with a bat, but it adds some depth, which I think is important and will help them. And also just means they they, they can have a, a range of different options. Um, and I think that's a good thing to have if you're the spirit, especially bowling-wise, but also batting-wise, just moving players up and down the order, having different options with that batting lineup, I think is useful. My one thing with Bell Drummond is, and I, and I I think the, the one concern I have is I do think Dan Lawrence should open for this side. Um, personally, I think he's he's done a bit of that for Essex. I think he's kind of getting to the world now where, um, kind of in the Joss Butler way, which we've debated over the years. I'd quite like to see him face as many deliveries as possible. Then you've got Zach Crawley there. Maybe you've got Matthew Wade. And Ma- Matthew Wade's gone up and down the order over the years. But he's a, he's you know played very well um, at the top of the order um, in previous times. So, you know, there's a bit of concern about, you know, how do you fit Bell Drummond into that? But I think these pickups are strong. However, vibe check on the London spirit. I'm not overly confident. I, I don't. I, I really struggle heading into a tournament with just a load of right-handers and Matthew Wayne and a bit of Jordan Thompson. Nathan Ellis is great, but then I don't know what you're pitching this bowling attack on because, look, Mark Wood's bowling great in the Ashes, but he's going to be unavailable for a bit. And, you know, Augusta Wind comes across the, the stadium and Ollie Stone and Mark Wood are out for the summer. Um, Liam Dawson is a, a very good left-arm spinner, but they haven't been keen to use him as a every... To, to use all of his 20 deliveries at all times. John Thompson's, you know, he's he's a competitor and he you know, does a good role for them, but he's not a banker, I don't think. And I I just look at that bowling attack and and I look at the the way the batting lineup's constructed. I'm just not confident. However much I like some of the individual elements, Michael Pepper is incredible. I love Dan Lawrence. I really like Liam Dawson, obviously. I like the quick bowlers they have. It just... I'm not quite sure 
this side works. And I, at the moment, I struggle to see them as a, unless Dan Lawrence goes an absolute heater this season, as maybe does a Matthew Wayne and a Michael Pepper. I just struggle to see them really competing uh, as one of the top teams in the competition. Yeah, I have to agree. This is one of those sides that you look at it and you go down the team one by one and you think, I like that player. I like that player. And you say that for every single player. There is not a single player here that I don't rate, that I don't think is really good. But put them together in the same team, it doesn't really add up to me. It doesn't quite fit together. You look at the batting lineup, and they're all really good players, but I think with the exception of Daryl Mitchell and Ravi Vapar, they all ideally would say, I want to open all that top three. All of them. And all but one, Matthew Wade, are right-handers. So you've basically got a lot of duplication within that top order. They're all great players, but they're all kind of doing the same thing. There isn't a great deal of variety in there, which makes it very difficult for you as a captain, as a coach, to get the best out of all your players because there isn't a great deal of variety, a great deal of role specialty there. They're all kind of giving you the same option, which makes the middle orders, I think, particularly difficult when you've got a lot of spin coming on there. With the exception of Michael Pepper, uh, they're all preferring to to face pace bowling, ideally in the power play. So that makes things slightly difficult. And as you said, Ed, the bowling attack, particularly with the injury records of likes of Wood and Stone, doesn't particularly convince me as well. A lot of the options they have there, I don't think I'd want to always give 20 deliveries to, but they're going to have to. So it's a concern for me. A lot of players are liking this team, but I'm not sure I like the balance of it altogether. Let's move on to the team who have been the worst team in the last couple of years. That's the Welsh Fire. We felt really good about their draft. I feel generally quite good about their um, about their direction. Obviously, new coach, um, Michael Hussey, has been very big on getting some Welsh players in the side. Obviously, none of those Welsh players are Welsh um, because Daniel Dalthwaite is from Surrey. But he has brought another Glamorgan player in. Um, famous uh, Welshman, of course, uh, Chris Cook, who was born in Johannesburg, um, comes in, the wicketkeeper batter for Glamorgan. He's had a really, really good year. Uh, and also Luke Wells. Uh, now, uh, Luke Wells, I think, is a really interesting player. And the fact that they don't have any left-handers in the top order, you obviously got Willie Shaheen, who offered two left-handed options. But they, they have Clark Eskenazi, Bairstow, Abel Phillips, all lined up in the top five, all of them right-handers. So it's nice to have maybe a more middle-order player in Luke Wells, who who can bat up there, and we will get to that. But when uh, when we do this, we we have a sheet, and I kind of go through, and Charlie goes through, and we add like the style of players, the roles they play, and it's like right-handed batter, off spinner, right-handed batter, leg spinner, and for Luke Wells, I wrote left-handed batter, and I don't have a fucking clue um, for his <laughs> mystery. No, I'm not. Even, let's not call it a mystery. There's no mystery about it. Um, the smorgasbord. Is that a good way of describing what Luke Wells does? I don't really know. I think so. I like that. Smorgasbord is perfect for him. He bowls some off spinners. He bowls some seam up deliveries. He bowls some leggies. He's he's developed into a very, very useful T20 operator with the ball and a, a silently quite effective hitter in T20 cricket, which is remarkable given what we thought of Luke Wells two years ago, let's say. Yeah, for me, Luke Wells might be the most interesting player in the men's competition right now, which is not a sentence I ever thought I would be ah. saying. Never. Oh. But hear me out on this, because it, you probably, if you haven't been following the blast too carefully recently, you probably have a preconception of Luke Wells being a very stodgy championship opener who 
barely plays white ball cricket. But since moving to Lancashire, he has completely turned it on his head. And he has become a genuinely very useful T20 all-rounder, both with bat and ball. Now, the, the, this, the leg spin, I think, is the most interesting development here. This was inspired by a chat he had with Rashid Khan and are both at Sussex. This is when the seed was planted a few years ago. And this is from a very, very interesting article he did in The Cricketer a week or so ago um, with Sam Dalling, which I highly recommend you go and read. It's a fascinating article. But Rashid Khan showed Luke Wells his technique and how he bowls. And Luke Wells just looking going, I don't have a clue what you're doing. I don't get it. Anyway, fast forward a year or so, he's moved to Lancashire. He's watching Rashid Khan on TV. And suddenly something clicks in his brain and he goes, oh, my God, I know how he's doing it. So he phones Carl Crow, the spin bowling coach Lancashire, and he says, let's work on this. I think I've cracked it. And he didn't necessarily stick immediately, but over the next year or so, he really, really worked at it. And I think the results have shown because he's become a very handy leg spinner. This season, he's taken 10 wickets at 21, strike rate at 17, an economy of 7.41, which is not to be sniffed at at all. It's good. He's also, it's very good. Uh, it's very handy. With the bat at all, he's been striking at 158, which is particularly of note, I think, because he and Daryl Mitchell are the only two Lancashire players to be striking above 150 this season. Got Joss Butler, Phil Salt, Liam Livingstone in that side. They are all striking below 150. It's only he and Daryl Mitchell who are striking above 150, which to me is fascinating because, you know, Lancashire may have qualified for the quarterfinals in the blast, but they've had a pretty turbulent time. It hasn't really gone to plan for them. They've looked all at sea at times this season. It's not been an easy ride. He's really come out that season looking like a genuine player. It's it's fascinating how well he has transformed himself. And I think it's particularly interesting to me because Welsh Fire have gone in with him as their only wrist spinner. The spin attack currently is Luke Wells, Roloff van der Merwe and Glenn Phillips. Now, with that in mind, and given he's their only left-handed batter, you're thinking Luke Wells are going to have to play and you're thinking he's got a big role to play with both ball and bat. So this is a lot of faith they've put in Luke Wells. They clearly really rate him because the balance of this side is going to be more or less quite dependent on Luke Wells. So, it, you know, this is such a, a rogue signing, but it's really fascinating to me. It is and fascinating. It is I, fascinating. I think yeah. given the dimensions of, of Sophia Gardens as well, where it's not always easy to bowl a spin, you've got those very short, straight boundaries. If you bowl quite quite loopy, more traditional leg spin, it's, it's quite easy to get under you and hit you straight for six. Luke Wells isn't that kind of bowler at all. He's, he typically bowls a bit flatter and a bit faster. And, and you know, I'm not going to say like Rashid Khan to suggest that they're, they're in the same league of, of bowling, but it's a similar kind of style in that it's very hard to get under you and, and, and hit straight for six. Yeah. And Roloff is similar, I guess, that he'll bowl quite flat and he's hard to get under two. So there's a clear game plan going in here of how to build this spin attack it's it's genuinely a really fascinating approach I've never quite seen anything like it but i'm i'm really intrigued by it and that's why i think luke wells is the most interesting player in this competition i do think it works assuming bearstow's playing you're probably playing with a side of clark eskenazi bearstow abel phillips wells willie shaheen roloff harris ralph jake ball and if johnny goes maybe you bring in david payne or Dan Douthway, or however you want to go with it. So if we talk about like a genuine, I think, like a good comparison for Luke Wells, I don't think there are many. There's a guy who used to play at my club called Spence, lovely guy, um, Saturday and Sunday cricket, a good player. Bolton leggies, Bolton offies, Bolton seam up. 
you didn't turn the ball a mile. You know, obviously he's not Rashid Khan, but just very clever and bowled a variety of things and always knew exactly what to bowl to the right batter. And I think that's a good way of looking about Luke Wells. Luke Wells doesn't really turn the ball. Until two years ago, he didn't really offer anything with the ball until he kind of worked it out and started contributing, working these things out. I think Luke Wells is really interesting because there there isn't much, you know, per se, revolutionary ability here. There's just someone who knows the game, knows what he needs to execute, and executes it really well. And I think that's really interesting. And I think Luke Wells as a batter is really is really strong as well. But there is a way of getting him into the side. Um, and now I think there is a debate to be had whether you really want to enter a tournament with your two spin options being roll-off and Luke Wells. I think that's fair. But I do think Luke Wells is a really clever cricketer. And I think that he, whilst he doesn't have all of this natural talent as a bowler, he has made the most out of himself as a T20 cricketer. And I think that's really admirable when you think about where he came from. So that is my question, though. You like the seam attack at Welsh Fire, but do you really want to go into a tournament with Luke Wells and Roloff van der Merwe as your frontline spinners? And not only is that the case, you have no backup option. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that. That would be my counterpoint to this. I think that's a very fair argument. I, I completely get why you'd be sceptical of it. And, you know, I'm, 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 I'm certainly not 100% convinced, but I am very interested. It could be really, really genius. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely very curious to see how this works. I, I'm very excited to see how this comes together. Chris Cook as well, I think, is a, is a good option to have. Obviously, Joe Clark can keep, Johnny Bairstow can keep, Stevie Eskenazi has apparently kept before in the second 11, though I don't think you probably want to test that out. I think you're happy to leave him batting. So um, I think Chris Cook is, is a nice option to have um, and, and then can kind of offer something as a potential backup keeper. Also, I think just as a maybe someone down the order, um, as they have a lot of top order players, obviously, they have David Willey, Shaheen Shahafridi. Um, you know, Shaheen might play every game. So actually, I think having Chris Cook there is a finisher option alongside Dan Douthwaite, who could throw into that side. And I think it just adds more depth to the lower order, which I like. Yeah, this is a really good pickup for me. Chris Cook's numbers as a finisher are really strong. He's a really good death hitter. This year for Glamorgan, he's been batting at sort of four or five, a little bit higher than you'd imagine the Welsh Fire would look to use him. But he's been having a mega year. He's been absolutely smoking it at Cardiff this year. He scored 419 runs, average of 38, strike rate 171, boundary percentage of 23. He scored Glamorgan's fastest ever T20 century as well this year, 113 or 51 balls, admittedly against Middlesex and admittedly at much to the school, which, you know, is probably, if you ever wanted to score a T20 century, you go and bat there. But not to take anything away from him, he's had a genuinely mega season. And I feel like it's a, a no-brainer for me. Really good pickup for them. I think you'll play a decent amount. And I think having someone who can come in and finish off the innings really well is a, a, a really handy skill set to have in there, which they haven't necessarily got anyone who can do as a specialist. You know, David Woolley ideally likes to kind of float up the order and hit the spin. So mm-hmm. if you've got Chris Cook in there at sort of six or seven, you're feeling really good about it. I think that's a good pickup. Yeah, and it's nice to have another Glamorgan player in the side as well, which I do, I do think genuinely helps. And I feel much better about Welsh fire this year. Let's move on to Northern Superchargers. Uh, Ollie Robinson, no, not that one. The other one um, is their first pick, uh, wicketkeeper batter, and obviously Saif Zaib as well, who has had a good couple of years. And I'm very glad is playing in the 100 this year. They really need some batting depth to the Superchargers. And um, obviously because Ben Stokes and Harry Brook are playing in the Ashes. 
um, uh, and Michael Bracewell's injured at the moment. So, you know, they wanted some batting depth. And I think that was kind of the key issue there. And, you know, I think Zayeb and Robinson offer two very different options. Um, and I think they kind of complement the side. So, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with the two picks they brought in here. Yeah, I think they make sense. Like you say, they needed some batting who you could feel confident could come to the side straight away and contribute straight away. And I feel like in these two players, you've got that. Robinson's strike rate is in the 130s this season. It's not ideal, but what he does offer you is a lot of stability. He's scored 380 runs at just a tick under 50. So you've got someone who's hard to get out and you've got someone who will score you runs. And, you know, I might have gone for some more explosive personally. At that point in the draft, you've got Chris Cook still available, Jack Haynes still available. I might have looked to take one of them potentially, but you know what? Ollie Robinson is a good player. There's a Durham connection there. Of course, Marcus North is uh, in the backroom staff at both Durham and the Northern Superchargers, and there's quite a lot of Durham players in the mix there already. So it makes sense to them to want to stick with a known quantity there. It's got someone who they know can come into the side straight away and score some solid, consistent runs. Completely get that. It makes sense. They want to play it relatively safe. I understand it. Yeah. I, I Ollie Robinson wouldn't have been the player I'd picked. I'd pick Saifzad first, and I probably wouldn't have gone on the Robinson, but I, I get it. I definitely get it. And I think it's nice for them just to have another keeping option as well. So I I understand the pick. So it's so that's good, especially with Stokes and Brooke could be away for a decent amount. So they really need they really need to add some batting. So I think that was really just forced upon them. Um, and you know I f- I feel okay about this side if Stokes and Brooke were there. I do have concerns um, in general, but you know you have Adol Rashid, Callum Parkinson, good spin attack there. The experience of Visa and Parnell, Reese Topley's an excellent player, and you see what you can get out of the batting lineup. Um, but I do think they just need to bring in two guys who can who can offer something with the bat, offer some depth, and probably play a decent amount of cricket. So, um, if you're looking for stability, I mean, looking for a couple of different options, guys who offer some different skill sets. I like both of these picks. I think they make sense. Yeah, I completely agree. I think Saiz so, Zaid fits the bill as well. You've got an extra left-hander, which is always helpful. His strike rate hasn't been as high this year as it has been in the past, but we know he's a good player. He's known to the group as well. He was with them last year briefly, so they know what he's about. He knows the setup. It's always helpful. And he's a little bit of a handy spinner as well, so that adds something. I think he'll probably play the first couple of games with Stokes and Brook likely being away with England. So, yeah, I think it's handy to have someone who is reliable, consistent, you know, can come to the side straight away and score those runs. So these are both quite similar picks, I think. I think they both tick the same boxes, and I think they'll be pretty useful players for them. Yeah. Zyb's bowling hasn't been used as much. However, I would say he's probably one of the top five fielders on the circuit. Um, And I think that's actually quite a big benefit um, to the supercharger side, who um, we might have criticised in the past for being a bit old. Um, I think that's probably, yeah, I'd say a massive benefit. Um, because you know, Reese Topley's a, you know, he's a big, quick bowler. He's probably not a sprightly on his feet. He's all about, he's all about those twenty deliveries. You know, you, it, it's really nice, I think, to to have someone like that. Um, who can kind of sweep either side, leg side, offside, especially in the later overs. I think that's the big benefit for Zaib, as well as the batting, which I think is is really fun. So I think that's a good pick. Birmingham Phoenix-wise, they've brought in uh, Henry Brooks and the quick bowler, who I believe is a right to match. Um, he played for them last year, had some success. So he comes in and they've 
also brought in former Welsh fire batter Jacob Bethel. Um, Henry Brooks, I think, is a, a no-brainer because of what he did last year. Uh, I think it's nice to have a high-pace option. Um, he absolutely deserves a go in the side. Uh, I think it's a nice point of difference to the other English seamers they have um, in general, just to have that high pace alongside Adam Milne, who's probably going to play. So, so I, I do think that pick makes sense. Completely. Henry Brooks is such a high potential bowler. He's still quite raw and he still can be expensive sometimes. But like you say, he's quick. He gives it a lot of bounce. And what I think you can do with Henry Brooks that maybe some of the other bowlers in this team don't give you is that you can use him during the middle overs as an enforcer with great effect. He might be expensive sometimes, but he will pick you up wickets. We saw this sometimes last year. His five versus the Southern Brave on debut was a really impressive performance. He bowled quick. It was seriously hostile. He really rattled some high-quality Southern Brave batters like Stoinis and David. You know, they, they didn't look particularly comfy against him. Those are quality players. So Henry Brooks is a no-brainer of a pickup to me. I think the RTM was always going to be used. I was surprised that he didn't go there in the draft, but as soon as that happened, it became pretty clear that they were going to RTM him back. He's a local boy. He knows the group and he offers so much quality. So, yeah, absolutely no surprise. I don't think he necessarily starts a tournament for them if everybody's fit and available, but he will certainly play more than a, more than a couple of games for them because his skills are pretty much unique in this side. Yeah, and especially if you think Wokes might end up playing the Ashes and might miss a game or two. And then Adam Milne has been injured previously, obviously, it's nice to have that high pace option and 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 can you know step in for those guys. I think that's a benefit. Jacob Bethel, I I like I like Jacob Bethel. And I think if you're thinking about a high potential option, you know I, I get it. There's obviously a lot of ability there. My concern is, I'd have quite liked a more proven option for this side. Saif Zaib went after. I'd have liked to see Saif Zaib here. I think that would have been fun. But I, I look through this Phoenix side and Ben Duckett currently playing in the Ashes. Moen Ali currently playing in the Ashes. You know, if those players aren't playing, obviously you've got Smead, Livingston, Shadab, Mowsley. I just think you're a little bit, I think you're a little bit short just on batting when currently your backup options are Miles Hammond, who's not had a great year for Gloucestershire, Jacob Bethel, who's not yet broken through, and Jamie Smith. Especially when your two keeping options without Duckett are Benjamin and Smith. Benjamin, who's not had a great year, hasn't quite got to the potential we kind of saw in the first edition of 100. Uh, and Jamie Smith, who's currently striking at 120 in T20 cricket, and that's not good enough for the 100. I I get the Bethel pick. I, I do think that the depth batting options for the Phoenix don't they, they don't quite they don't quite work for me if you are going to miss Duckett and Moeen for a significant period especially when Shadab's at five and you know the batting is you know not necessarily the longest I do think that's a legitimate concern I I, I think the batting depth in terms of starting 11 is 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 really good when you got you know Howell at and Wokes at you know well, eight and nine that, respectively. And my, my assumption here is that Wokes isn't playing, and that the side would be Smead, Hammond, Livingston, Bethel, Shadab, Mosley, Benjamin Howell. I, I, for me, I just, I just don't, I don't see enough 
in that side to play with the velocity that they have had in previous seasons. Okay, in, in that scenario, I get where you're coming from. I, I, I do completely get your point. I think this is the team that, give it two, three years, with all these players retained and if they develop as, as their potential suggests they could, it would be amazing. And that's clearly the the philosophy in which this team has been designed and selected. Clearly, this is the team that they want to develop long-term and build a kind of squad of young exciting players who will grow with the team for years to come. Uh, and that's clearly something that's worked for them with many pickups like Henry Brooks and Will Smead. Um, but I do get your point that a lot of them are still quite young and inexperienced and relatively unproven. And if you have to rely on these players, it, it is a risk. I do completely see that. So it will be interesting to see how some of the younger batters go for them. I have a lot of faith in a lot of them. I think they're all really exciting players. I think players like Dan Mosley, for example, are going to really step up this year. He's been batting and bowling very nicely for the Birmingham Bears. I think he's got a big role to play for this team. But it's going to be interesting to see how they go. I, I, I get your concerns, but I also think it's exciting to see so many high-potential youngsters in the same squad. So it, it's a brave move, but I think Jacob Bethel is, is a, a very exciting player. One thing I will say on Jacob Bethel, just quickly, is that he can't bowl this season. He's got a stress fracture, which he's managing. He can bat fine, no problem. But the bowling, he's a very useful spinner. But this season, he won't be able to contribute in that role for the Birmingham Phoenix. So he's a specialist batter. They don't need any more part-time, or they're not part-time spinners. That's not wrong with it. They don't need any small spinners who bat in the top six. They've already got Livingston, Moe, and Shadab, and, and, and Mosley. I don't think they need any more part-time spinners or full-time spinners in that top six, however you want to describe it. Moses is a great point because I think he's uh, he's kind of the, exactly what you want in a modern off-spinner in the fact that he's actually a batter who bowls some off-spin. Um, and I, I'd be love to see him get a bit more responsibility with Moeen in the test squad, if he is still in the test squad. And I'd love to see Mosley batting for maybe. But I do think that going back to the Oval Invincibles point of eventually have to pay all these talented players. They've got Smead at a cheap price. They've got all of these, these this really exciting bowling attack, all of these options. I know the future is down the road. I'd just love them to really try and fill that gap. I'd have loved them to find some competition for Chris Benjamin with the gloves. I'd have loved them to, you know, push Miles Hammond just a bit, you know, a bit more if Duckett's away. I just think there's a short termism here. I'd have liked to have seen. And and just, you know, in an individual sense, I like Jacob Bethel. I think in three years, that could be a really clever move and they'll pay off massively from it. I, I just think in this year, I think they could have pushed more chips into the table. And it's not necessarily a criticism because I think planning ahead is a good thing. I don't think I don't think it's a bad thing to plan ahead. However, I think there could have been a bit more of a combination there. And I'd like them to just push the chips in the table this year, really push Chris Benjamin, really add some competition there. And I personally don't necessarily see that. So that that's my who would, who would that player have been for you? Well, that would have been Saif, that would have been Saif Zaib if we're talking um about a batter. Um, on the keeper side of things, I would agree that it's more difficult uh, on that side of things. But, but I'd still, you know, even if that is a Tom Moores or whatever, it's, I, I just I think they could have done more with that spot. And I agree that it's not. I agree that it's not great. Now I, I totally see it. But I just don't yeah. see Jamie Smith as a hundred level player yet. In a year or two, yes, maybe. Right I, now, I can see that. No, yeah, that that's completely fair. I will say that I don't think there's a huge difference between the players you mentioned and the players they've got. So I feel like 
Yeah, I I With a minimal difference. I would prefer Zyper Jamie Smith now, yes. 100%. And Hammond. That's... And Hammond. And personally, Bethel at this stage, maybe not in a year or two. But I don't think the difference is necessarily huge. And I feel like if it's not that big, I can understand why you would want to back a younger player than a short-term option. I get it. I don't necessarily 100% agree with every single pick, but I understand the thinking. Yeah, I think that's the best way of think, thinking about it. I wouldn't have done this necessarily. I'd have liked to go on in a bit more with it. But but I I get the thinking. And I still think they're a really good side, to be clear. The bat, the, the bowling's excellent. The batting without Duckett and Moeen is obviously going to be impacted anyway, obviously. I, I, I'm not so sure. But this is still a good side with a good core. Uh, I think they are one of the, the top sides. I do think there are concerns heading into this year, but there's a lot to work with and I'm excited to see how they go. Right, finishing off the wildcard, let's go on to the Southern Brave. Title winners in the first year, disappointing year. Last year, they've brought in Jaffa Chohan, the Yorkshire leg spinner, and Matthew Fisher, uh, the pace bowler, also from Yorkshire. I was surprised by these picks to be honest with you charlie and on the fisher side of things i get wanting a little bit more depth in the bowling lineup obviously gartens has injury issues time on mills isn't always you know available so i get wanting to have another quick bowl after james fuller um just to add some more beef to that bowling attack a little bit more depth and i also kind of get the jaffa chohan pick i think he's a really fun player one for the future for sure Interesting leggy, combative. It obviously is a, a you know a, an all round package that could be something quite special down the line. I'm just not sure that either of those two players are the ones I would really want to bring in for this side personally. And we can get, I think, into the the leg spinner or you know secondary spinner behind Rehan Ahmed, in, you know, in the first instance. But yeah, I, I I just like to have seen another middle order batter to challenge Alex Davies personally. Um, even if I get the logic behind the picks. Yeah, I think this is one of those where I completely understand the philosophy and thought process behind the picks. I just don't hundred percent agree with the outcome and the players that they've chosen in that role necessarily. Matthew Fisher, he's a player who has always had a lot of potential but he's never really shown it in T20 cricket. I mean, even this year, he's only played four blast games and only taken two wickets in them. This is his third 100 franchise in three seasons. He's had some real injury issues over the years. And like, like I said, the potential is there, but he hasn't necessarily shown it. Not that much at blast level, to be honest, let alone at 100 level. So while I completely understand the logic of wanting to add another you know, exciting young seamer to this pace battery that's been the brave strong point over their last couple of seasons. I'm not sure this is necessarily the best pickup uh, to, to strengthen that and really bolster that. Similarly with Chahan as well, you know, I, I think we all agree they could have done with a second spinner. Um, really the only option they have currently is Rehan Ahmed, who is obviously brilliant. Um, and beyond that, it's a bit of Tim David, who isn't really in the same league. He's a matchup option. So, you know, maybe a second spinner would have been great there. Personally, I would, I would have gone for someone who could bat in the top six and maybe take the ball the other way. Um, just just something to give you a little bit extra and something else who, as you say, Ed, can challenge 
Alex Davis, who had a good season, to be fair, for the Birmingham Bears, but opening the batting, which is not where he's going to play, you'd imagine, for the Southern Braves. Uh, he'll bat in the middle order. And last season, he wasn't particularly good for them. He struggled a bit. He was quite stodgy and struggled to score at a particularly high rate. So I think if you had someone who could bat in the middle, who could offer you maybe a bit of leg spin, maybe a bit of slow left arm, that could have been a way to get both a better batter into the Knicks and get a second spinner who you could play alongside Ryan Ahmed. With Jeff Chohan, it's very difficult to see how you get him and Ahmed into the same into the same side because they're both essentially giving you the exact same role. And I don't see them ever playing two frontline leggies, particularly not two young ones like Chohan and Ahmed are. So it feels very much like Chohan is there in a development position. You know, I don't see him playing much. He might play if Ahmed is injured or if he's away for whatever reason. But beyond that, not sure he's going to play much. So, look, he's obviously a very exciting cricketer. But I feel like maybe wasn't the correct role. And even if it was the role that you want to go for, I still think there are better options. There's some very obvious names who I'm sure we're going to talk about in just a brief while. Jake Linton, as you mentioned earlier, and of course, Matt Parkinson, which is the real elephant in the room here. Yeah. Uh, before that, I, I'd like to see Ben Charlesworth come in for this team. Um, you know, I know they have Devon Conway and Lewis deployed. And obviously, Garton bats left-handed. I'd like just to see another left-hander in the squad. I think Charlesworth would have been a really interesting option. Maybe instead of Davies, you move him up and down the order. You know, I'd just like to see um, you know, someone to compete with Davies. I've always been a fan of Davies at the top of the order. In middle order, I'm not so absolutely sure about him, um, especially at the 100 level. So I'd like to see a bit of competition. Um, but but I get that you want the scene depth. But Chohan, him, the, the the kid's really talented. Clearly, um, and, you know, I, I, it's a lovely story as well to see someone uh, get that opportunity. Uh, I think it's really illustrative of part of the issues in cricket in this country that this kid who's playing for Berkshire last year, you know, goes through Saka, gets an opportunity to bowl in front of Darren Goff in the Nets, and within moments, Goff's given him a contract. I think that tells you everything you need to know about the lack of opportunities that Asian cricketers get in this country. So it's a real issue, and and so, you know, it's it's a great story to see Chohan take that step and get this 100 contacts. I'm delighted for him. What I would say, though, is if you're talking about a developmental option, I, I just, I'm not completely sure how many scenarios... Jaffa Chohan's ever going to be a better T20 product than Matt Parkinson. Matt Parkinson arguably makes it into an all-time T20 Blast 11. And I like Chohan, and clearly he can bat, which Parkinson cannot. And I'm going to assume, having not watched Chohan field, that he's better at Park- better than Parkinson in the field, because that's not an unfair assumption, having watched Matt Parkinson field. Um, but but I just, I, I'm not sure how many possibilities there are where Jaffa Chohan becomes better than Matt Parkinson as a... As, as a T20 bowler. Matt Parkinson has been excellent. He's taken a lot of wickets. And I know he's not been in great form. And the fact that Lancashire are pushing him out is, is a terrible decision by the county, in my opinion. And I know he's not been good this year. But Chohan's not taken wickets this year. Um, he's averaging 49 with the ball. And his economy rate's good, 7.93. Great. But I just I, I just think it's a tall order to ever be better than Matt Parkinson. And yes, Matt Parkinson hasn't bowled well this year, but this is part of the problem, I think. You see all of these cricketers getting opportunity after opportunity after opportunity in the 100. We we could name them. Let's let's not do that. Matt Parkinson should go down as as one of the better T20 leg spinners that the Blast's ever seen. He's 26 years of age. His T20 record, he's played 103 games. 
in T20 cricket, 139 wickets, average under 19, economy rate of 7.68, a strike rate under 15. There's just no competition here. He is an elite T20 leg spinner. I know he's not had a good year. And I know he's been out of a bit of form. And I know he's lacking a bit of confidence. But I just don't see any logic in saying we need a leg spinner, Chohan over Parkinson at this stage. And that's not a comment on Chohan. That's a comment on Parkinson, who's an excellent player. And the fact he's not in the 100 this year is a disgrace, an utter disgrace. And I think it really, to be honest, for me at least, I think it cheapens the competition. I really think it does. That The fact that the 100 is supposed to be the pinnacle of English cricket does not have Matt Parkinson in is ridiculous. And I also feel bad for Jake Linton here because obviously he played for the Southern Brave, had you know some great times in the last couple of years. I think turning it from the other way for, from Ray Han, given that other option, um, I think would have been really valuable for them. And he hasn't bowled well this year. And he wasn't as good last year as he was the year before. But I think it's a real shame he's also not playing. So not, not to... to not to say Chohan is an exciting cricketer, and I'm delighted he's got this opportunity. I, I'm just confused, and this is not just Southern Breath, I think it's all eight teams. Why, in this situation, Parkinson and Linter aren't playing in this tournament? I think it's incredibly disappointing. So, overall, delighted for Chohan. I think he could be a really good cricketer, but how many scenarios out of 100 is he better than arguably the Blast's greatest ever leg spinner? I do think it's a demonstrable failing of the hundreds draft mechanism. We're big fans of the draft. We love it. But the fact that a player like Parkinson isn't getting in both in the draft itself and in the wildcard stages is frankly baffling. And to me, all it says is that these teams are severely overvaluing recent form and overlooking bodies of work over a vast period of time. Because if that wasn't the case, then there is no reason why players like Matt Parkinson wouldn't be picked up. I don't understand it. Probably never will. The only other scenario in which this is the case is if Matt Parkinson has done something really, really bad that we don't know about. But he hasn't, as far as we're aware. So all we can say is that it's overvaluing of recent form. I just don't get it. It it makes no sense to me whatsoever. But I feel like I'm wasting my breath at this point. He's not going to play unless there's an injury and we're just going to have to accept it. But it's a great shame. And I agree. I do think it devalues the competition. Yeah, I'm not accepting it. Um, I'm not accepting it. And I and I and you know, we I could talk about the, this issue of Matt Parkinson for years, but I just think it's this this country has such a problem with spin bowling, specifically leg spin bowling. Matt Parkinson for a five year period has been excellent consistently, has got a test debut, has played white ball cricket for England, but because he bowls a bit differently, because he's a leg spinner, one spell of bad form, that's it. Disappointing. Uh, vibe check moving away from from that conversation of the Southern Brave here. You know, I'd have liked to see some competition for Alex Davies, but they have a great seam battery. You know, Rayhan hasn't bowled brilliantly for Leicestershire this year, but he's a huge talent, as is Chohan. So, you know, you like the seam battery. You love Finn Allen, Conway, Vince, Deploy, David. There's some really good batters there. I feel good about this team. I think they could have done better on the wildcard, but overall, I have positive vibes about them. Yeah, I do agree. I think there's a couple of players that I don't, hugely love in the roles they're in and I think some of their bench players perhaps could be a little stronger maybe the wildcard could have helped there maybe a few of their retentions I might have gone differently with but look there's so much quality there I think there's quite a lot of role clarity as well you've got some 
players who are very obviously going to open the batting, for example, some players who are going to take down spin, some players who are going to take down the pace bowling. You've got power play bowlers. You've got death specialists with Tamar Mills and Chris Jordan. There's a lot of areas covered here, a lot of boxes ticked. It's just a quality team. They've been well-operated for a while. Yeah, last season they were pretty poor, but had a lot of injuries, a lot of availability issues that really hampered them. This year, if they can get all the best players out on the pitch, which currently, with the exception of Archer, it looks like they will, I think they could go a long way. They're a good team. Yeah, they are a good team. You know, they could really do with Mark Watt. I think I think that would be I think that would be nice. I think some phase versatility from the spinners would be helpful, especially if you're not necessarily got Garton up top. You know, maybe you'd like to have a bit of phase versatility there. Uh, and Mark Watts shown he can hit for Scotland as of late. But you know what? I I I feel decent about this team. So there we are. That's the the men's wild card side of things. Let's move on to the women's side of things. There's been some announcements on some final players. Final players coming into the squads. This has obviously kind of been drip-feeded over the past few months. I mean, it's not been particularly well uh, documented or organised or any sort of transparency on how it works. So we will do deeper dives into the women's side and with our um, team previews. That's when we'll go through, you know, all of the teams, their strengths, their weaknesses, the players to watch. For now, we're still trying to get our heads around this whole process and work out the whole team dynamics. So right now, let's just go through some of the the names we can pick out, some of the key names we think that are great signings, and then we'll come back with later podcasts to give you more. Um, I'll start um, we're in some of the names that I really like. Um, London Spirit picking up Lauren Filer, I think, is a it is pretty exciting. She was obviously, I believe, contracted to Welsh Fire last year, who's obviously going to be disappointed to lose out. But we see, we've seen in the in the women's test match that she bowls with some proper pace, um, and that I think is always a really valuable thing to have in T Twenty cricket. Yeah, hundred percent. That's a really exciting signing. She is seriously quick. She adds so much. She adds a real point of difference to this London Spirit side. Very excited to see her go for the Spirit. Yeah, I, I think it's good for the spirit as well, just to have th- that extra pace in the side. It gives you a point of difference. And, you know, they've got Alice Monaghan as well, highly rated, been on the spirit for a couple of years now. You know, maybe this is the year she starts contributing. Chloe Hill coming in as well. I, I'd also I'd shout out, talk about Seamus, Mihika Gore, and um, for the Manchester Originals, who have had, in my opinion, really good um Good announcements day. Amy Campbell comes in. Amara Carr as well. Good keeper who was at the Spirit last year. Laura Jackson, the seamer. He could go tall, left arm seamer. And played a bit for the UAE, I believe, but is now playing for the England A team. Tall, bowls at decent pace, gets some movement. I think Mahika Gore might well be the breakout star of this year's competition. Yeah, 100%. She's really exciting. In fact, I want to say there's some really exciting signings in this last round, actually. I have to say, considering this is the, we're only a couple of weeks out from the competition starting, there's some really high quality players in here. I'm surprised haven't been snapped up earlier. You, you look down the list here, move down to Northern Supercharger, for example. We've got Grace Ballinger coming in, Lucy Hyam returning to the Superchargers. Yeah, Beth Langston coming in for the Oval Invincibles, Cortelia Griffith and Sophia Smale coming in there as well. There's some quality, quality cricketers. Um, I do want to say on a, on a downer here, the communications with the tournament in general, but specifically the women's player uh, selection process this year have been utterly abysmal because both for, both for a fan and for a media perspective, this is a complete 
shambles to get my head around here. Um, it's frankly baffling that we're only a couple of weeks away from the competition starting and we're getting the squads only just to be completed now. We're getting some very high quality players coming in now who you could see so much, you could have so much hype and, and marketing build around them. And you can't really do it now because it's so close to the competition starting. It's not going to make a great deal of difference either way. It's just a shame. You know, these teams are all going to look so different to last year because of the draft process. You could have made such a big deal out of it. And it's just, frankly, gone a bit flat because of the way they've gone about communicating the process to the public. It's a real shame. I think these players deserve a lot better than this because yeah. they are quality cricketers and they're just not being given the kind of marketing push and platform that they deserve. So I'm sure it can be a great competition, but the way they've announced this process has been such a shame. I think it's a transparency thing as well, um, just obviously with the situation with some players not entering the draft and obviously coming back to teams they wanted to be at, previously been at, like Sophia Smell for the Oval Invincibles. It's just not a great look. But but this is the thing, there's so many great cricketers. Mahika Gore, by the way, here's a fun fact for you. First of all, she's from Reading, as... Um, I suppose two of the best people are now. She made her international debut for the UAE at the age of 12. It's, it's just remarkable. It's, it's just mental. But she is a quality cricketer uh, and so excited to see her get a game. Good, delighted for Anne Wilson's in the competition. Emily Windsor's had a couple of good, decent years, you know, coming in for the Welsh Fire. We're big fans of Kalia Moore, Sophia Smale. Uh, is always, uh, you know, last year was fantastic. The Invincibles, really excited to see her play. Grace Ballinger's an exciting cricketer that I know you're keeping your eye on. Charlie obviously played a little bit for the London Spirit last year. There's just so much excitement here. Um, and yeah, I, I'd love to see it get a little bit more hype. Um, so it's a bit disappointing. As as we say, we will come back to this and we're, we're currently building our spreadsheet with all the women's teams on and working out who our 11s will be and getting everything together. So we will have more on this side of the competition soon. Um, just give us some time on that to get our heads around this because as we say, this process has been an absolute mess. Um, but for now, thank you very much for listening uh, to The 100 Podcast. Back very soon. Keep an eye on our Twitter feed at Podcast 100 and we'll speak to you next time. <laughs>